Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we have on with us Chris Black. And Chris, you've got a very interesting background, right? Running marketing and you've been involved in a lot of startups and a lot of growth. And you've seen a lot of different infrastructures that have worked well, but you learned a lot of lessons along the way of what didn't work well, right? And I think that the stories of what you've gone through there are going to be very interesting to us today. But what also is interesting is your background. You've got a degree in photography. You've got a couple of degrees in English. You've got a, a real kind of a tech background. Maybe take this introduction and tell us a little bit more about you. And then we'll get into the subject matter at hand in terms of the creating this aligned go-to-market structure, a single aligned go-to-market structure inside of a company. Absolutely. Thanks. That, that's lovely of you to say. I appreciate that. I've been into tech since I was a little kid. I started in elementary school on those old Apple IIEs and started programming. Even went to Virginia Tech, but like you noted, I have a couple of English degrees there. And that really sets the stage for the rest of my career. This passion for technology, but then also my passion to talk to people and to show what technology is capable of. And so that's why you see photography, theater, English degrees in the background, but always centered around the tech industry and also led to my passion within the tech startups. I found that there's just amazing things happening within these startups, great brain power engineers and scientists that are all trying to bring these amazing ideas to market. And I've used this kind of odd dichotomy in my background to be able to align those kinds of uber geeks, you might say, to be able to bring their ideas to market and really help a heck of a lot of people as a result. Fantastic. I'm excited to start here. Let's, let's get ready to, first of all, what is your definition or point of view of what an aligned go-to-market structure is? What does that mean? So I think we usually find on the business side that sales does sales, marketing does marketing, and customer success does customer success. Maybe you have a dialer and they might answer to sales, they might answer to marketing, but everything is misaligned. And when you have misaligned goals across each of these departments, you don't end up being able to achieve the things that the, the company needs us to achieve. In startups, that's hugely important. There's not a lot of money to go around. And you have to really hit the ground in an aligned way to, to survive, right? Otherwise, we all lose our jobs and nobody wants to do that. I, I love to follow the folks that have been building the concept of go-to-market because it's about alignment across the business. So it's sales and marketing, the dialers or the, the business development reps and customer success even all aligned to the same goals. And that may be the number of customers, the amount of revenue, the amount of renewals. All of these things have to be aligned at a corporate level or none of this ends up working because that's where the finger pointing comes in from of sales telling marketing their leads suck and marketing telling sales, well, you just don't know how to sell and customer success going, guys, I'm over here and I need help. I'm not getting the renewals. Somebody pay attention because everything's just misaligned. So that's why I really like the concept of GTM overall. It's a great way to, to bring everyone together to go after the same mountaintop, so to speak. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring out the elephant in the room to begin with here, okay? Because misalignment, we do a, a lot of work. We're recording uh, part seven of our Why B2B CMOs Fail series on this podcast. And misalignment is a big part of that. And there's pressure coming in from the board, from the C-suite. There's there's different silos because there's different organizations. There's parity in terms of there's C-level executives in marketing, C-level executives in sales. There's C-level executives that are head of product. And so 
there lots of time is competing agendas. I'll give you an example. Most CROs are head of sales and they've got quotas over their head, right? They got short-term accomplishments that they need to do where a chief marketing officer is, yes, very focused on pipeline development short-term, but we also have to be focused on the brand and building the expertise and the trusted advisor status, creating the demand today from the brand and the, and the expertise that we're building and thought leadership content and things like that. That's a big task when you say align go-to-market in similar goals. How do you bring these individuals together so that everybody does have the same goals, the same well, plan? Ultimately, that has to be at the CEO level, right? The CEO has to set the goal. And if that CEO is not willing to set the goal, then there's going to be a lot of misalignment. And I, what I was saying, it's probably unpopular, but ultimately at the end of the day, we have a mountain range. I, I live in Colorado. We have a mountain range. And now we can all head to the mountain range. And when we see that misalignment, it's because we're all heading to the mountain range. But the CEO has to say that mountaintop, that's the mountaintop we are going to go climb. Everyone go. If it's, we're going between these three mountaintops, gosh, we're each going to go and hit a different mountaintop. We're each going to interpret which mountaintop we think is the easiest to climb. So that CEO has just got to set a very clear top level objective. That's why I like um, OKRs, right? The objectives and key results, because that really helps with this alignment across the whole organization. CEO says, here's our top three objectives. Here's how I'm going to to measure those. Now, sales, marketing, customer success, we all come in and we go, okay, that we, we understand those three. That's the mountaintop. Here's how we're going to help get to that mountaintop. And that's got to be cross-functional. And that's how we align quarterly and annually in a way that's public and it's measurable. And, and that's what I love about that. Because ultimately, if that CEO tells me I have to close 10 million in, in deals this quarter, I may prioritize pipeline generation. If that CEO says, I'm trying to raise funding, you know what, that brand awareness, that's the thing I need to really focus on to help with that funding. And also startups, our eyes are really big. Our time is really limited. The resources are limited. And so helping that CEO go, you know what, that the five things, that's too much. We can't do those five things this quarter and push back and go, what are truly the three things you need to accomplish? This is what we can do to get there. And so there is a give and take. It is tops down, but it's also bottoms up to make sure that whatever we're doing, it's a stretch, but that it's not completely impossible. I love your, by the way, I live in Denver and uh, the Denver area. So yeah, we have how many, like over, how many, 10, 14,000 people, right? Choose the peak you want. So the bottom line here though is everybody does have to come together. Everybody has to agree. You have um, this idea that there's this need for creating transparency throughout the organization. Explain a little bit what you mean by that. Well, OKRs is a great way for transparency because we have to agree on what those objectives are and how we're going to measure that. I personally in marketing like to have an intranet and I publish, here's what I'm going to do. I publish the traction I have while I'm doing it. And then I publish if it worked or not. And I'm always transparent about everything I try will not work, especially in startups. We may not know product market fit. We have assumptions. We have to test it. There's lots of testing. There's lots of failures. And we learn more from those failures. But the fact that I publish it earns trust. If sales doesn't trust me, if customer success does not trust me, none of my job is possible. And it's going to be finger pointing. 
So that intranet's really important. I publish those metrics. I also usually work within the CRM. In my mind, from the tech stack perspective, that CRM is the center of the universe. Customer success often works there. Sales obviously works there. The BDRs, everyone's there. Finance and the CEO, they're all working from the CRM. So that's the center of the universe. And then I usually support that team by building dashboards and reports. We start to, to be able to see trending. You know, what's working? What's not? Where is the funnel leaky? Where is the, the lead generation leaky? No, I have my other tools around that, but everything feeds back to the CRM, which as long as that's the center of the universe, that is where we know the data comes from. We run our, our reports from there. We run our meetings from there. All of that is transparent and we're all focused on the exact same metrics, which then lead back to those OKRs that we've already established together and had a handshake with. So that's what you're doing. How do you promote transparency, achieve transparency then from the other departments as well? Yeah, so because I'm in CRM, when I'm working, usually I, I call them marketing meetings. I, I stole marketing. this from the terminus folk. Unfortunately, <laughs> that leaves out the customer success and I, I do try to bring them in as well. But there's marketing meetings because again, at startups, usually we're focused on that pipeline, not so much on customer success yet. These marketing meetings, we come together every so often, weekly, bi-weekly, and we run our reports and everything else here. So I run that meeting. Okay, guys, here's my marketing. I'm seeing these companies are on the website. These are our targeted accounts. Sales, do you already have meetings with them? No, great. Sales engineers or whoever's doing the dialing, the BDRs, give that account a call. We see that they're calling from, I don't know, Rome or Berlin. Let's call them. Something's happening. Maybe it's intent data. That's all fed into that CRM. If sales says, hey, I've got a meeting next week, I can say, it's not looking good. No one's coming to the website. They're not engaged in those emails. I see no clicks. I see no video watches. What are we going to do to make sure that there's some activity ahead of that meeting so that audience is warmed up? But that information is all in that CRM. I run that meeting from the CRM, that dashboard. Could be regional, could be global, whatever the size of the group is that I'm working with. Now, on the flip side, I attend their sales calls. I hear what they're getting yelled at about. And so I create a spank report that is actually sales related, not even marketing related. And then I follow up with those individuals afterwards and say, hey, here's your report. Here's the data missing that you just got yelled at over here about. Let's make sure that data gets filled in. And then they can start to look at that report before their weekly inquisition to make sure that data is there. Now they trust me because I'm looking at the data for them. I'm trying to make sure that everything is covered. Yeah, that builds some of that trust and transparency that is, is really helpful between these teams. But to come together regularly, that's really important to work from the same data set. That's absolutely key because otherwise, it's me in marketing saying, hey, I sent you a bunch of leads to what happened from my marketing system and their sales system going, I didn't get them or they sucked. And now we're completely misaligned. Yeah, the days of look all MQLs I created threw over the wall. That's your job now. I had, I had one poor sales guy. He was getting hammered. He's not going to close this deal. I will close this deal this quarter. I followed back with him afterwards. I'm like, dude, you're not closing the deal this quarter. There are no digital fingerprints for this. Like they're not on the website. They're not opening your emails. They're not opening any of the videos. Who do you have in the account? Because they're if you're having meetings with them and they're not on the site, we got a problem. We got the SDR involved, started dialing the other folks in that account, trying to make sure they were all aware of the account. He did not close at that quarter, but he did close at the following quarter. And I think it was because we all came together. I saw that there was a, an issue. 
that he didn't see. And we just surrounded that account together and he was able to get that huge enterprise deal closed. Yeah, that's a, when you get right down to it, all the fancy technology we have and everything, if a company's not engaging, they're not interested, right? right. Engagement, more engagement, the better. It's always a good way to look at that. Tell me a little bit about how you track. And you've mentioned the reports you do and you're in the data and that intent data and that engagement data. But how do you think about tracking and showing ROI? So I love account-based, ABX, account-based activities, because it's never about marketing. I hate the fact it's ABM, but it's really ABX technologies. Pick the top accounts. Sales guys can usually handle what five one-to-one accounts. And then we've got one to the to few and then the one to many. And so we cheer them out pretty traditionally. I love setting up these dashboards by these kind of tiered accounts, or maybe it's by account rep, often account rep as that starts to grow. And we're looking at here's the top tier, here's who's getting ads, who's engaging in those, who's engaging on the website, how many of these accounts are engaged. So I look at it at an account level. Most of my startups are enterprise. And so there could be eight or 10 different personas or, or different people that I have to touch at various parts of that sales cycle over the course of a year and a half. And so I have these kinds of dashboards that say, are they on the site? Are they engaged in video? Are they engaged in email? How many people do we have? Do they represent all of the personas at the correct stages? And so I, I create dashboards literally across this. Now it's a lot of data management. Sales guys are like, whoa, I don't wanna deal with that. And so I try and automate as much as possible. So if we know one persona's data scientist, we know that these three titles go into that, trying to automate those systems because those guys, they need to be out in front of customers or prospects. They don't need it. They don't want to, and they don't need to be doing data entry. So the more we can automate, and most of these systems are great. Salesforce, HubSpot, and most of these modern CRMs, you can automate this. If you have a, maybe a discount CRM that doesn't do that, your marketing automation will often do that kind of data cleanup for you. And so you spend a little time up front. Everyone agrees. Here's the titles that do this. Here's where we need in the sales cycle. Automate that. Start to trend that. At this stage, do we have the right personas? Yes or no? Does it move forward? Yes. If not, maybe we need to review that. And so that trending allows us to have a conversation to go back and review. Why aren't we, why aren't we moving this forward? What's going on here? Oh, I still haven't gotten to this guy. Ooh, that guy... We didn't talk about that. Let's move that back in. So it's testing, it's getting it in there, it's trending it, and then following up to make changes to, to make this easier. Or you find sales guys like, this isn't automating, so I didn't get this report, I didn't get this understanding. Okay, how do we fix that for you? And so it's just a huge partnership between them. And then customer success, it's the same. Some of those digital fingerprints, that, that's important in customer success too. And so feeding that in, getting them their reports, are they logging in? Salesforce, there's three things you have to do as a new customer before Salesforce feels comfortable that you'll renew. And if you don't do those three, they're sending you emails. They're calling you. They're making sure that you know how to do these things. So every company, at least in the, the software side, should know what are those three things? How do we track it? And then what can we do in an automated fashion to, to get that together? And then you and your customer success people are all aligned as well. Sales is, is rocking with customer success. So there, those are some of the things I look at. A lot of it's really engagement at this point. What I love that you articulated there is that 
you're pulling together reports and you're identifying who the buying committee is because we know that there's not a single person making a buying decision. So it's not about engaging with one particular title. It's about engaging with a number of individuals within these organizations and tracking the collective engagement as well as the individual engagement around that. This is a level that most, I would say, marketing folks are not involved with. Absolutely. But the thing is, most sales departments, they're more comfortable. You're talking about a lot of sales operations here. Yes. Merging marketing operations and sales operations together. Yeah, that's the new kind of uh, fun fun term is RevOps. And I think that's so crucial because... If you're in sales ops, you're focused here. If you're in marketing ops, you're here. And there's a huge disconnect. And customer success has their own operations. And even that's separate and rarely talked about. So if you can merge these across and have that person be able to follow all the way through, it's absolute magic the what, what you're able to tell from that. Yeah. And that's and we don't want the salespeople steeped in the data and all of that, right? They need to be out. They need to be having conversations and Tell me a little bit about, because in any ABM process, right, you can't keep selling, selling. You have to empower the sales team with the kind of content, adds value to the relationship, positions them as trusted advisors, right? As much as we look at all of this engagement and intent data and the RevOps function that you've been talking about here, I want to take a little bit of a right turn in terms of, okay, but now in Empowering those conversations yes, and enabling that to happen. What's your perspective there? Oh, content's king. We started playing with the internet in the 90s, right? Most of us. And content was king then. It is king now, like king and queen maybe. But you have to have content. You have to have content in a lot of formats. And so I create these content mappings. Here's our personas. Here's where they come into the sales process. And here's the assets uh, throughout the different sales process. So I love video. I'm a huge fan of video. It's so trackable today with tools like Vidyard and it all feeds into the CRM. So you can see exactly how long it's been watched, which sections are watched multiple times. It's one of my favorite content tools. I can create content for the CEO to send out to other C-suite folks and create content for the VPs. And so we're layered in correctly in a way, not incorrectly, but in space correctly. But that way, all of this is automated so that the CEO has their video talking to another CEO, feels very personal, but the CEO doesn't have to create a new video every time. That goes out through emails, either his own email or through an automation tool. VPs can do the same and sales engineers can do the same. So having those at all of the right stages available so that whoever is needing to send that email, it pops up, it's in their template, email template with the video connected. Here's the PDF file, the, maybe it's a webinar on demand. All of these are staged in such a way. But I work with that sales team in that sales process to make sure, hey, what are the conversations you had? Walk me through your sales deck. Is there something that you would like them to know before you go into that meeting? That is, that is prime for either a white paper, a case study, a, a video of some sort, so that they're prepped with that before that meeting happens. And that person can just send it out right ahead of the meeting. Hey, just wanted to give you a little information ahead of our meeting. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. And then he can tell or she can tell, hey, this got viewed. They really stayed on minutes, you know, 1.5 to 1.6. I should probably focus on that in my meeting. 
that arms them with so much more data before they walk into that meeting. Yeah, to the point of, of people, right? If there's eight different people in that, that buyer's group, one of them might be a CEO. Having that video ready for that CEO and the salesperson can say, hey, CEO, would you please send this now? And they just pull it up in their email, they grab the template and away it goes without any thought. So having all of this kind of ready, and that's where marketing is huge, right? Having that content ready to go, measuring whether it's working, whether it's being clicked, whether it's being watched, refining it further. And then maybe even from an ABM perspective, here's one for big companies, middle companies, or here's for U.S. companies versus European companies, right? All of these are based on the business, but just having it very quickly, easily set up because otherwise it doesn't get done, right? If it's not easy, CEOs are busy. They're not going to do that unless you make it just stupid easy for them. Sales guys, right? They're on the go. They might be doing it from their phone. It's got to be easy. And that's where marketing can help a lot. So I love the idea of the, the content mapping and all the different ways that you do that. There's a lot that's uh, out there in the industry in terms of research that the vast majority of content that marketing creates, sales doesn't think has any value. Right. And a lot of them, you know, the only content that is going to fuel the processes and everything that you just talked about there is high quality content. Actually, you have to, so you have to have content that actually is worthy of another CMO was, it was great. She put it as like, it was stealing their time. Right. Right. Because the buyers these days are doing more research. They're taking on more research decisions before they ever want to talk to anybody internally. So what that means is that then that content that marketing is creating, it has to spark conversations earlier in the buyer's process. It makes the role of content actually more important as this self-serve buying trend is upon us, well upon us. So... How do you create that quality content? Because you can't just, you can't just put a prompt into chat GPT, right? Really? Are you sure? <laughs> it's understanding pain, right? It, it's what are the pains in the industry and the people today? They have pain. They talk about it at all the trade shows. So we have access to what is, what are the biggest pain points? And in my mind, I think about it, like if you've ever read story brand, I, I love that because my English background, I love the hero's journey and story brand takes the hero's journey and puts it into business. And nobody wants to hire a hero. They want to hire Yoda. They want Yoda to tell them what to do so that they're the hero. Our content has to do that. Our content is helping our customers be a hero. Our salespeople, our customer success, we are making our customer the hero and we should never forget that. And I think marketers often do. Like we want to talk about how great we are. Sales wants to talk about how great we are. Frankly, no one cares about us. They care about themselves. They care about the problem that they're facing right then. All of that content, all of our communications has to be around making that person the hero, understanding them, understanding their pain, and having something that helps alleviate that, that pain and, and make them the hero of their story. If we do content that does that, then I, I think we're creating good quality content. And that's where the trick really lies, right? Because... If you're in a company, startup, whatever, an enterprise organization, that typically the subject matter experts are experts in your own tech, your own product, right? We can talk about our babies all day long, but talking about things that are educational for our buyers in their job, that sometimes goes, and most often goes beyond the scope even of 
what our company does, right? We fit into a slice of what they have to do, but we have to understand everything that they have to do, the problems that they're facing, help educate them, talk about the innovations, the solutions, the things that are going on, the trends in the market. That's big, right? That's a big job. And that's why most companies fall back on talking about themselves first, because we can do that very easily, right? I can talk about my four teenagers until midnight tonight, right? Yep. But talking about what's important to the buyer is another thing. And I, I, I love everything that you've talked about and you've said here. What I love the most, though, is that none of the data, none of the systems, none of the transparency, none of any of it is in place. The aligned goals are going to make a difference if we're not creating and empowering the right conversations with the right kinds of content. Absolutely. And that's why that persona works important too, to understand your customer profile, understand that the people that you're selling to, again, in an enterprise sale, there might be eight people, eight different people with eight different pains yes. that you can probably help solve. And so yes, for those eight people, yes, I am awesome. Just trust me. Buy my product. It'll be fabulous. That doesn't work, right? When we meet people, if they said that, we'd be like, yeah, okay. And we'd walk away. And it's the same in business. And so we have to understand the pain of each of those people and talk to that and, and help them know that we understand that and that we can, in fact, help them with that. So if, if we were to wrap up the, the lessons learned in building an aligned go-to-market structure, for us as the audience taking away, what do you want us to take away as some of the top one or two lessons from watching this episode? Uh, first is aligned goals. If we're not aligned, if we don't have aligned goals, we can't succeed. Second is transparency and, and working from the same data set to make sure that we're all taking, taking those metrics against those aligned goals and that we're all working this, the same way. Those are probably the top two and, and trust. At the end of the day, none of us can be successful if we can't trust one another. All of these are, are ways to really just reinforce that, that we can trust each other and our prospects and customers can trust us. And that's not just alignment of, of goals. That's also being good, decent humans. That's being caring and, and compassionate and diverse and inclusive. All of those things feed into trust. And that's much harder to measure, of course. Was there anything that we didn't talk about, that we didn't cover, that you would want to say before we end here? Oh, gosh, that we didn't cover. We talked about analytics, which is my personal thing. Inclusivity. You know what? We didn't talk about inclusivity enough. And that's so important at the C-suite level, um, because what we do at that C-suite and, and senior leadership level is incredible, right? To, to show that we are diverse, that we are inclusive, to make sure that everyone in our organizations have a voice. So it's not enough just to, to hire diverse candidates, but to make sure within our organizations across the board that everyone feels safe that they have a voice, that they're included in these conversations and whatever we can do to help raise the voice of everyone on our teams. I think that's one that doesn't get enough discussion. I love that. I love that. If people had follow-up questions for you, would providing them a link to your profile on LinkedIn, would that be the best way to get a hold I, of you? Absolutely. I'm Crystal Black on LinkedIn. And that also has a link to my website that has a lot of a video content, 
talk a lot about ChatGPT and and technologies, the, the marketing and sales tech stack technologies. So I try and provide a lot of resources there too. Fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all the lessons we don't all want to have to go through. <laughs> oh, it's good fun though. It's good fun. We learn so much more out of our failures than our successes. Obviously, if I can help people not fail, that's great. But I embrace every failure that I've had in my career and I really appreciate those opportunities. All right. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you.